Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Do you know a student getting ready to go to college? Or are you looking at going back to school yourself? The Woodward Hines Education Foundation and the Get to College program help more Mississippians get to and through college to get certificates and degrees that lead to meaningful employment. They offer free college planning advice, including hands-on FAFSA completion assistance through in-person or virtual appointments. Visit gettocollege.org to learn more. This is MPB News. Hi, this is Karen Brown. Thanks for checking out the Mississippi Edition podcast. If you like what you hear, click subscribe, hit like, or leave us a comment if your app has that feature. Then find other MPB podcasts by searching MPB Think Radio on your favorite podcasting platform. Thanks. Good morning. It's 8.30 on Tuesday, January 26th. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, lawmakers look ahead to the governor's State of the State address. We get perspective on both sides of the aisle on COVID response, vaccine rollout, and other issues. Then the federal partnership with corporate pharmacies to vaccine or vaccinate the state's most vulnerable is lagging. We hear from the AARP on the state's progress getting Mississippi's oldest residents protected. Plus, a new report ranks the risk factors for children and youth in all 82 counties. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Mississippi Governor Tate Reeves will deliver his second State of the State address today from the Capitol, and some lawmakers are sharing what they'd like to hear from the state's chief executive. Vaccinating Mississippians for the coronavirus tops the list for many on both sides of the aisle, with education funding and criminal justice reform also points of concern for many legislators. Republican Representative Donnie Bell wants the governor to continue his push for workforce development. The chair of the Workforce Development Committee tells our Desiree Frazier that uh, the pandemic, he and the, the pandemic are what he hears most from his constituents. Well, I mean, workforce is important, you know, across the state and moving some stuff forward on that. Uh, I'd really look forward to hearing his thoughts on that. And then, you know, how we're going to still proceed with the COVID vaccine across the state. I'm getting a lot of calls on that. What are they asking you? Well, just the distribution, like in my area, we're working on getting a site in Fulton, one in Etiwamba County, where recently to get the vaccine, they've been having to drive to other counties to get the vaccine. That's a toughie because I'm hearing from lawmakers that they want to hear more about the vaccine. But right now, it seems like it's almost out of the governor's purview because you have to wait on the federal government and the pharmaceutical companies to produce it. Yeah, that may be true, but, you know, maybe just a little bit more verbalization of what's going on, because 
you know, we, we need to, to relay that information to our constituents, you know, and then they're asking us why. I, I realize it's the pharmaceuticals and the, the, the drug companies and even the, but the distribution sites ought to be set up and ready to go once the vaccine is allocated. So you want easier access? Yes. I mean, and more sites. I mean, it's, it's, you know, if we're vaccinating people that are in their 75 and 80 years old and above, it's tough for them to drive 50, 60, maybe 75 miles to get the vaccine. They're, they're not able to do that. So I think as a state, we can prepare more sites available or at least one in every county should have a site available for their for their constituents and and i know uh, dr dobbs is working on that uh, i've spoken with him and you know they are trying to get that and allocate vaccines to every county anything else on your mind well just you know really where we're going to move our state forward with our workforce and our educational system you know with the school systems and the, the covid response that we're dealing with you know those are our issues that's really important to a lot of people at home. Do you want to see the MAEP fully funded? Look, on that, it's been fully funded, I think, two times since, what, 2007, six, somewhere in there. So, I mean, as far as funding, I think, you know, with the CARES Act money that our educational system received, We've had the, the financial support. I would like to consider all state employees a raise, not just the teachers. We still have a lot of state employees that are, you know, going on above and beyond the duty right now that we need to recognize also. Well, all right. Well, thank you so much, Representative Bell. We appreciate your time. Yes, ma'am. Thank you. In addition to vaccinations, Democrats like Senator Angela Turner Ford are expressing concern over education funding and access to health care. The chair of the Legislative Black Caucus says she hopes the pandemic has changed the governor's attitude toward Medicaid expansion. I would say that the fact that we are in the midst of a global pandemic, hopefully that would cause him to reassess where we are and um, want to make change in the area of Medicaid expansion is certainly something that I would support, and the caucus members would also. Do you think that it's still a politicized issue? That's hard to say. Um, I would would imagine that when the decisions have been made in the past not to expand Medicaid, there are those who would say that it was not political. Um, Certainly, I try to allow room for any official, elected official, to make a decision based on the information that they have access to. But based on what I've seen, um, I, I, I cannot understand why we have not expanded Medicaid, certainly with the needs of the citizens here in Mississippi. What else is top of mind for you as you prepare to hear from the governor? Criminal justice has been an issue um, that you know has been looked at closely by the Mississippi Legislative Black Caucus. Um, you know, I understand that there are talks now trying to formulate a criminal justice package where 
that could actually make its way through the legislature. I would like to hear the, the governor's perspective on the facilities that fall under the Department of Corrections, as well as his plan for you know, how individuals who are being incarcerated can be released and under what timelines, as well as the criteria that would be used to allow them to re-enter society. I'm very much interested in his proposal on criminal justice, or if it would be addressed at all. Are you looking to hear from the governor about teacher pay raises and fully funding MAEP? Yes. Um, I don't know what his position would be on fully funding MAEP in the past. You know, that he does not appear to have been receptive to that. But um, certainly, you know, our teachers, the pay that our teachers are receiving um, is lagging behind the southeastern average. That is one of the agenda items that the caucus adopted um, as its policy position last year, and it continues to be the same. I would like to know the governor's plan or proposed plan to, to increase the salary of our teachers to get them in line with other adjoining states. Is there anything else that you'd like him to talk about? I think election um, reform needs to be discussed. And I know that he's taken the position in the past that, you know, we will not have early voting here in the state of Mississippi or, you know, something along those lines. But we don't know what's coming. I, you know, from what I'm hearing, you know, this is not the last global pandemic that we will experience. It's just time to move Mississippi forward in terms of election reform. And I would like to hear his proposed plan for where he sees the state of Mississippi relates to elections. Senator Angela Turner Ford, chairwoman of the Mississippi Legislative Black Caucus, thank you for your insight on these issues and sharing your perspective. Thank you so much, and I appreciate the opportunity to have spoken with you as well. The governor's State of the State address takes place at 2.30 this afternoon and can be heard here on Think Radio. Coming up, we hear from the AARP on the state's progress getting Mississippi's oldest residents protected. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Hi, I'm Ryder Taff, Portfolio Manager at New Perspectives, a fee-only financial advisory and co-host of Money Talks. Each week, we take your personal finance questions and tell you about a money topic we hope you find helpful. Money Talks can be heard Tuesdays at 9 a.m. on MPB Think Radio. Podcasts can be found on our website, money.mpbonline.org, or on your smart device's podcasting platform. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Earlier this month, Governor Tate Reeves expanded vaccine eligibility to Mississippians 65 and older, citing the high risk of severe outcomes from COVID-19. But many of the state's vaccine appointments are failing quickly, and a federal partnership with Walgreens and CVS is underperforming. Kimberly Campbell is Mississippi's state director of the AARP. She tells our Kobe Vance, while the while the flow of supply is lacking, the effort to prioritize older residents is resonating with their members. Some of our holdup in the state has been our production, you know, and, and we want to first say it's not a knock against our, our governor or, or any of our uh, state officials. We really think uh, the governor has really been trying to move this train. And so uh, unlike what we've seen in some other states, we've been really pleased that he's been concerned about that. Uh, but of course, it's about it's about supply. 
And so now, uh, you know, the governor has really uh, been trying to reach out and get uh, more shipments into the state. And we're, we're really pleased with that. And so uh, we want to continue to encourage him uh, and support him in getting more vaccine to the state of Mississippi so that we can move these appointments along. And I think what, what we've seen with uh, we've also been hearing people that they've had concerns about trying to make appointments, uh, getting online, you know, and that's one of those things where unfortunately that's going to happen. Is the AARP doing anything to help make that more accessible? Uh, Actually, yes. Now, we don't have uh, websites for you to register through us. Uh, What our thing has been is that, one, working with Congress and really pushing Congress uh, to, uh, you know, put protocols in place and really, you know, move the shipments uh, to the states and really provide funding to kind of ramp up production and get more vaccine supply to the states. Here in Mississippi, we only have so many vaccines. And uh, like you were mentioning earlier, the governor's made made some significant decisions over the past few weeks. Uh, one of those being to focus a lot of vaccine doses into the state-run vaccination sites. And there's 19 of those across the state. Um, but right now, um, that means that some people are having issues getting there, uh, getting finding transportation to be able to go there and get vaccinated. Um, are there any programs out there that uh, seniors in Mississippi can look towards to see if they to to help them in that process of getting vaccinated? Uh, if you if if any anybody would really uh, stay up to date with the state health department website, they give out almost timely information uh, daily. Uh, but that's also something that we're asking is that you know when we say funding, we want funding not only for the vaccine and production, but but this is a part of it as well to really provide those protocols and those measures to make sure that we have enough sites. You know, uh, can we open up even more sites? Uh, are there areas to where we don't have enough sites for you know however many mile radius. You know, we want to make sure that that we can um, have sites available as much as possible and make sure that people also have the transportation to getting to those sites as well. Now, earlier you're talking about um, how some states have not opened up beyond just 80 plus. Um, The governor received some criticism whenever he made the changes to go uh, 65 and older and anybody with health conditions that is over the age of 18. Does that take away, whenever the state expanded that much that quickly, does that take away some of the appointments that 75 plus were hoping to get? That um, just adds extra competition, making it harder for them to get vaccinated? You know, I, I, the way that we fall on this is that our, our demographic is the 50 plus. And so uh, the majority of the COVID deaths have, have all dealt with those that were really 65 and older. And so we were really excited to, to try to get that grouping uh, down to 65. Now, we do have concerns about some, some of our long-term um, care facilities, making sure that they have the vaccine. And that's been, you know, a little different of a protocol. You know, that, that's been some, some federal government contracts, you you know, with, you know, uh, some some of the drugstores. And so that's a little bit different. And, and I think the governor has been concerned about that as well. And they're trying to make sure that they can really uh, move on and make sure that our long-term care facilities are getting all the vaccinations that they need. But outside of that, you know, we that was our age group. That was our demographic. And we really felt that the 65 and older needed to be included uh, as, as quickly as possible. We really did. And, and plus, many times that 65 age group they're also caregivers. Usually they're the caregivers for someone that's 80 or 85. So it was very important that in itself, you know, was also providing a shield of protection for those that may be older than 65 that they're caring for. And so we felt that 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 grouping was was a good call. We really did. 
Dr. Dobbs and the governor have both expressed concern that CVS and Walgreens have been slow to roll out vaccinations in uh, in some of the state's long-term care. And when they do go, it seems like most situations, uh, 80 to 90 to 100 percent of residents are actually getting vaccinated. However, when it comes to employees, that seems like that margin is much, much lower. Um, what, what have been right. your thoughts in the long-term care? You know, you, you're correct. Um, and, and as far as healthcare workers, period, not just the ones in, in the long-term care, but, but across the board, we've been hearing and getting data and information that, you know, all of them are not uh, taking the vaccine. Uh, you know, and that's one of those things where, again, with AARP, we're not mandating uh, the vaccine, uh, but that is a concern. You know, it really is a concern. Uh, but uh, another place that I agree with Dr. Dobbs uh, and the governor is that, you know, in some of the other states, um, they were kind of waiting, you know, they were, they were given a long pause to make sure that all healthcare workers, you know, got theirs first before they started rolling out uh, to the other demographics. I did appreciate at one point where our governor was like, we, we've waited long enough. And so if they want to get it, they can get it, but we need to move this out. We need to make sure that our older Mississippians get their, you know, get the vaccine if they, if they want it. And so it's one of those things where I felt we could not continue to wait for them. We do encourage them. We think that that's just another layer of protection, not only for them, but but for the people that they care for. If you're working in a long term care facility, again, uh, national nationally, we've lost about one hundred and ten thousand nursing home residents uh, and staff have died from COVID-19. That is a tremendous issue across the country. That is tremendous. And so we would encourage those to really, you know, search within yourselves and think, I took an oath to do no harm and to care for others. This is a part of that. So we would really encourage them to get their vaccine. Kimberly Campbell is state director for the Mississippi AARP. Thank you for your time. Thank you so much. Coming up, a new report ranks the risk factors for children and youth in all 82 counties. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit, you get information about foods you should eat to stay in good health and tips on how to stay active. I'm Dr. Josie Bidwell, host of Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit and Associate Professor of Preventive Medicine at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Listen to the show every Monday at 11 or subscribe to the podcast by searching for Southern Remedy with your preferred podcasting app. This podcast is a local production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting and depends on the support of listeners like you. If you can, please donate today at mpbonline.org. And thanks. This is Mississippi Edition. I'm Karen Brown. A new statewide report is assessing risk factors and protective factors for Mississippi's children and youth. The Risk and Reach report from the Children's Foundation of Mississippi identifies the needs of children and youth as well as the available opportunities in each of the state's 82 counties, giving each county a low to high risk score. According to the report, 14 counties are considered high risk. Linda Southward, Executive Director of the Children's Foundation of Mississippi shares the purpose of the report and its findings. The idea of Mississippi having its own risk and reach report really began before the COVID-19 pandemic and for the most part depicts data before the onset of uh, the pandemic. 
But it is important to note that because the pandemic has certainly reinforced the important recognition of the interdependence among individuals, families, communities, and the needs to work together, having this report released during this time is, I think, a clarion call for for people across our state to look at where the needs of children are by county. How does how is this report different from the Kids Count report? This this report is different because what it really does is assign each county a risk level. The the previous Kids Count reports really looked at indicators within each county. But our colleagues at the Social Science Research Center at Mississippi State University went through various algorithms based upon um, the Louisiana Tulane University risk and reach report that was done a few years ago. And so they were able to be able to take a look at the 16 indicators and come up with a score based upon these risk indicators to determine where each county in Mississippi lies across the continuum. So it was divided into low risk to low to moderate risk, moderate to high, and then high risk counties. Before we get on to the counties, let me ask, tell us about some of the indicators. Are they the same as what we see in the Kids Count Report? Yes, many are the same. When we look at unemployment rate, uh, percent of children under five living in poverty, uh, percent of low work, uh, low birth weight babies, um, but then there are uh, high school graduation rates, et cetera, uh, children in foster care, but there's some that are a little different as well. And, and it was based upon where we could get county level or uh, data provided by agencies or publicly available data so that you could compare oranges and oranges, if you will, or apples to apples across counties. Now, does this report also include remedies? Well, it certainly includes reach indicators, um, areas that, for example, could help with things, uh, for example, some of the uh, education indicators. When we look at kindergarten readiness scores, uh, percentage of third graders proficient in language arts, high school graduation rates, etc. And then we look at reach indicators. Some of the areas that we know based upon the research are able to really help with kindergarten readiness scores, for example, having publicly funded pre-K across the state. We also know if we have more home visiting programs across the state, more pediatricians per county, school nurses, example. Those are some of the areas of reach that we, that we know can help ameliorate or decrease the risk levels of the county. So it's some basic... Um, it's some basic services and it's some basic risk indicators. And we really just wanted to take a look at this and so that um, people within the community, whether it's uh, within the schools, within social service organizations, business uh, leaders, also our policymakers, can take a look to see where children are in Mississippi uh, based upon these counties. I know that in previous reports and what we know about the state as a whole, the Mississippi Delta tends to be the area that has the most poverty 
the least amount of access to care, those sorts of things. Is that what this report shows as well? Well, yes, there, there are definitely, when you look at the rankings by, uh, by the state, you will see many counties in the Mississippi Delta, but you will also see counties, and again, depending upon which indicator, uh, for example, in southwest Mississippi, there are other counties, depending, again, upon which indicator uh, you take a look at, um, there are some of the highest risk counties uh, when you take a look at this report beyond the Mississippi Delta. What are the counties that lead the state in regard to the most risk for children's well-being? The ones that lead the risk are there's uh, Adams, Claiborne, Tahoma Homes, Humphreys, Jefferson, LaFleur, Pike, Scott. Tunica, Walthall, Washington, Wilkinson, and Yazoo. That's quite a few counties. And, yes. and the the ones with the least amount of risk are do they tend to be counties where where uh parent or the the household the head of household is making more money? Well, when you look at employment, etc., and you also look at a tax base. So the lowest risk according to this report with with the Indicators that we used are Carroll, DeSoto, Jackson, Lafayette, Lamar, Madison, Octibaha, Rankin, Smith, and Union Counties. And again, it's not just one risk factor that goes into this. This is a combination of risk factors. All right. Where can people see this report? They can go to the Children's Foundation website, which is childrensfoundationms.org. And again, this is the Risk and Reach Report, Opportunities for Children, Youth, and Communities. We've been speaking with Dr. Linda Southward. She is the Executive Director of the Children's Foundation of Mississippi. Dr. Southward, thank you so much. Thank you, Karen. It's a pleasure. This has been Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Thanks for listening to the Mississippi Edition podcast from MPB News and MPB Think Radio. Don't forget to subscribe if you haven't already. And if your app lets you, leave a comment or review. We really do appreciate it. Remember, you can always get in touch with MPB News on Facebook and Twitter. And fresh episodes of the podcast are posted every weekday morning. I'm Karen Brown. Thanks for listening. This is Mississippi Edition from MPB Think Radio.